Hi everybody, I'm your host, Guillaume Cochois, and this is a new episode of Tapis Rouge. The shout-out today goes to Chris Cicerelli, the beautiful and very talented physiotherapist from Montreal, who was the first one to find out our equally beautiful and talented guest today, Brett Wyborn. So Brett and I worked together on Totem for many years. He was a fantastic therapist, teammate, and friend. But what I found special about him was his approach and knowledge about pain science. This approach changed completely the way I viewed performing with physical pain, training, and most important, how I cared for the little aches and injuries that I could get performing 10 shows a week with Cirque for all these years. He is now in charge for all the physiotherapists on all touring shows for Cirque du Soleil. Cirque is very lucky to have this guy in charge. So I thought it would be cool to first hear the perspective of a performance medicine specialist working with Cirque du Soleil artist and also share some interesting knowledge about pain science with you guys. So here he is, the great healer from down under, Brett Wyborn. Brett, welcome to Tapis Rouge. Thanks, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thank you. So you are a performance medicine manager for the touring shows division at Cirque du Soleil? That's correct. That's my title at the moment. Uh, I've had a few titles since I've been with Cirque, but uh, currently I'm working out of the headquarters out of Montreal, but um, sort of helping the performance medicine division uh, throughout uh, the touring shows as well. Okay. And so how did you first start working for Cirque du Soleil? What was your first introduction to Cirque as a physical therapist? Yeah, well, it was actually back on a show that we were, were both on together back in 2015. I, uh, I came in originally on a sabbatical cover. So the head therapist was taking a year off and I, uh, I knew of Cirque, but I didn't know the world of performance medicine in Cirque. So I was a bit naive to all of that. I, I watched a couple of shows here and there. I was a bit of a fan, but never knew that they had traveling performance medicine teams, never knew really what went on behind the curtain, if you will. So um, yeah, back in 2015, obviously Totem was in Australia and, uh, in all honesty, I owned a physio clinic at the time and thought it might be a good, uh, good collaboration to have. And, and for me to get the exposure to high performance artists, but also for my business in Totem was coming through Perth. So mm -hmm. I think it was a good, you know, shameless marketing grab for the clinic as well to say that we were, yeah. we were working a bit with Cirque du Soleil artists. So the more and more I dug into it and looked at the opportunity, um, the more excited I got. So I had a friend of mine, uh, Trevor, who worked with Cirque uh, many years ago. Um, so I picked his brain on, on what it was like. And I guess as I uncovered more and more, um, I sort of went down the rabbit hole and, and fell in love. Yeah. And then when did you actually join the tour? So I joined originally in the middle of 2015 when you guys were, when we were in uh, Adelaide and then uh, stayed on Totem for originally for, was meant to be for a year, but ended up staying through the end of Japan. So I think my time on Totem as a head therapist was uh, just over two and a half years, almost three years. Okay. Um, so it was a nice, nice little um, stint to be on the road and experience and um, be hands deep in the operation. Yeah. And so how was your perception of the reality of the job, like to be on the field every day and to work directly with certain acrobats with that reality of performing 10 shows a week, training, staging and everything? 
Yeah, and that's a good question. And I look back having been very, very naive when I walked into the environment. Um, I'd obviously done as much preparation as I could, but I'll never forget uh, my first day of training, um, walking in, walking into the big top and having the same reaction a lot of people do, eyes were wide open and a bit taken aback by the environment and the, you know, the amount of different artists and the way it was working. But my very first experience was I was taking into an emergency response training. So first aid for, for those people playing at home and um, the rescue that they were practicing was um, for one of the acts, which is a juggler who juggles in a big, like a big science speaker on, on the show. And they were practicing about what would happen if he was to, it was to pass out in there and they were able to, how they would extract him. So I was sort of standing back observing and thinking, um, you know, this is obviously an environment that is diverse, but never in a million years did I think I would be trying to rescue someone out of a science speaker on the middle of a stage. <laughs> uh, and so from there, it was, you know, when you try and relate it to other experiences, whether that be pitch side coverage in sport or seeing people in a private practice, it's just nothing that's going to prepare you for when we first come into the environment and see how diverse and how unique it actually is. So everything you see on stage and everything that wows the audiences, um, there's a lot of hard work and, and preparation that goes into that backstage and the PMED team or the performance medicine team are a big part of that. Uh, so there's a lot of training that's involved and a lot of, uh, a lot of different bits and pieces that need to go right for us to be able to support the artists uh, to do those you know, 10 shows a week. And as a physical therapist, how was it to join the team, the PMED team on the show? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a very welcoming experience to start with. Um, being welcomed in not only to the to the show and the little community and village that is it, the own show, but also uh, the wider performance medicine department, I think, at Cirque du Soleil. Uh, it's to collaborate with people from all different types of professions. So not only do we, I'm an Australian qualified physiotherapist, but we have people in our department who are athletic trainers, athletic therapists, physical therapists, uh, very diverse population. So to be able to collaborate and bounce ideas and, and learn from people from uh, a multitude of different professions was something that was really interesting um, uh, as a part of joining the team. So I think you look at that in those two aspects is, it's the touring environment and the, the mini village that moves around from city to city that was was really unique. I'd never never toured before uh, with, with any sporting team for longer than you know a few days. So that was unique, but then also the, the broader community was something that was really special to be involved in. Okay. And so what were the things that you were seeing there as physio on the show? Like, are there any kind of, not recurring injuries, but like some aspect of the performing job of artists that when you saw it the first time, you were like, okay, like with what is required of them, I'm going to have to make sure that they do a certain type of physical preparation or like I have to look out for certain things. Yeah, I think the overwhelming um, answer to that is everything's very different. Uh, every person you interact with is very different. So I think the best uh, comparison I've seen quoted before is it's as if you're coming into a, a mini Olympic team. So you've got many different people that are uh, from different disciplines, but also from very different cultural backgrounds. And so as a, as a therapist coming into that environment, you really learn a lot and how to 
uh, engage people and what's important to them, but also understand uh, their context. So, the, for example, I'll, I will give is that you know the way that someone that comes from an Eastern European and their views on medicine and healing and rehabilitation and prevention uh, are very very different to someone who's maybe come through the NCAA system in the US. That's mm-hmm. you know they've been it's been drilled into them from the moment they could uh, they could uh, uh, compete uh, to the moment that they. Finish finish their career. So, uh, being a therapist in that environment forces you to, to think very, um, broadly in your, your treatment approach and realize that, um, there's no one size fits all for any treatment plan that you want to deliver. Must be a good, uh, a good challenge, like difficult, maybe sometimes but also very, um, fulfilling in some ways because you, it forces you to develop more skills and like different approach while having to interact with such different profiles, right? For sure. For sure. And I think the biggest learning I had is it requires as much education as you can give the artist uh, as possible. So obviously people have different learning styles. Uh, people have different ways they re- receive and process information. Um, but it also challenges you as a clinician to deliver that information that's meaningful for that artist. And I think, you know, we get sometimes so focused in on the, uh, the musculoskeletal injury that's happening in front of us. And we miss the bigger picture on this is an artist in front of you who has uh, a different cultural background, has different expectations. Maybe their goals are a little different to what yours are. So I think through, especially through my time on, on totem, I really learned that. Um, and that was a craft in itself is aligning yourself with the goals of the artist, understanding what the operation and the show needs and, and what the expectations are of the artistic team. Um, but speaking to them and educating them along the way to show them, uh, maybe open their eyes to a different way of thinking. Are artists open to that proactive educational process? I'd say, <laughs> I'd say that's, a, that's a broad question, uh, Guillaume, but um, no, look, I'd say it's surprisingly most of them are, but I think the way that we, we miss on that is we think the same approach is going to work for every artist. So the way that I speak to someone, uh, maybe a Russian cradle porter is a very different approach and different tone and different context that I'd use than if I was speaking to uh, a power truck artist or even a flyer, for example. So you've really got to understand that while, you know, we might try and profile people and think that they're similar in their physical attributes. Um, they might be uh, a part of the same troop, but from completely different sides of the world with completely different values and ideologies. So I think if, if people aren't open to being proactive, it's, it's, it's time for self-reflection on the clinician to know, did we deliver that education the way that it was made meaningful? Um, Cause I think everyone uh, by nature is, is pretty curious in our environment. And if you find a way to relate to them, you can normally connect with them and, and get their understanding. If they're not uh, certainly an injury will, will make them in the future. That's kind of where we end up. It's very reactive, but if they don't really uh, buy into prevention or injury risk reduction, normally by the time they get an injury and then we we can really uh shape them uh, and their views on trying not to come back in uh again that's that's normally a, a good educator for everybody yeah for sure i mean as an artist myself the first time i started to take part in that process to try to understand more to study more and you realize it allows you to be more autonomous in all these processes and you just realize like I hurt less he improves your performance but your life in general too like outside of the stage too so I think that's really the moment when 
when you have that first reward from it, I think this is where really you're like, okay, I mean, now I want to, I want to understand and I want to be proactive about it. Yeah. I think something you just said that really resonates with me is the word autonomous. And it's actually some interaction I had with today. We have uh, a guest here from uh, the Bayern Munich football club who uh, came and, and I met with briefly uh, just over, over lunch and his big observation of our performance medicine environment uh, compared to what they're doing. As you said, they actually have uh, up to about 10 physios who are there pre-match takes them up to you know, 30 to 40 minutes to strap all the players. So to do all their sports, sports taping. Mm-hmm. Um, and he noticed that one, with one of our projects that when he came into our space, that there was maybe two or three artists that were all doing it themselves. And yeah. uh, he, he was blown away by that. And, and, it's, and it's, it's really that of, it's not that we don't have the bandwidth to do it. I mean, we all will do it if it's, if it's indicated and it's part of maybe an injury mm-hmm. injury that we're managing, but for things that are proactive or prevention or, or uh, what we're trying to instill in our artists is that autonomy and getting them to be right. They're not dependent on us for their healthcare is they, they own their healthcare and it's, the reason we exist as, as a team is to keep them on stage for as long as possible. And the more that they own that autonomy, the longer they're going to be on stage. While you were on tour, were you suggesting a healthy lifestyle in general outside of the tent as well? Like uh, not risking with other sports, uh, eating junk food, not too much drinking, <laughs> or like, is it kind of like, okay, once you're out of the tent, like you kind of, you can do your own thing. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd like to sit back here and say that once the uh, once the, we clock off for the night, that's it. We switch off and we just let people go and do what they want. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I think the unique thing about touring and it can get a bit hard is is the the lines do get blurred a little bit from when you're at work and you need to be professional versus you're, you're friends with these people. I mean, you go out to dinners together. You you know, you stay at the same hotels and become they become your family, your extended family. So. But like you would treat any anyone in your families, what do you want is best for them? So for us is it's really encouraging that it's not it's not a dictatorship. We're not here to tell you don't go and do that, don't go and do that. But if we can help you influence when you're at work and then when also in your your general life, we know that you know when it comes to things like long term pain, that healthy lifestyle and looking after yourself and everything in very in, in moderation is important. But um, that's going to have a big effect of what you can produce on stage. So, you know, the example I use easily is uh, we, we all love going out and having a beer and, and sharing a good laugh. But if you know you've got three shows tomorrow, probably not smart to be out till 2 a.m. because the best thing you can do for your body is to recover and have and, and sleep well. So would I, uh, would I hold people to that and get offended if they didn't do it? No, not at all because people make their own choices. But um, if they ask my opinion, for sure, I'm going to try and give them a better um, – better path to follow and it's it's about education isn't it you're not going to be able to force everyone to do it but maybe people just aren't aware maybe people don't realize that a good seven eight hours of sleep is the best thing you can do for recovery rather than just you know put ice on for five minutes and think you can go out and do whatever you like (laughs) and pull up well the next day so um, i'd say everything in moderation is okay uh in in life that's my philosophy (laughs) yeah it's very wise but it's true it's a a lot of guests on on the shows do say that that on tour the lines are very blurry and that because as you say we are always together and like even if you look at the schedule like with training staging and everything you kind of like you wake up at the hotel you have breakfast and then you go to the tent and you spend the whole day there so for sure it becomes yeah i've been told earlier in my career about those like don't you know there's a show tomorrow 
one beer is good just maybe hold on that second one you know <laughs> exactly and look it's a, it's a very it's a very tough schedule when you look at it in its entirety because it's very different also for us as clinicians when we're managing injuries or even managing you know lifestyles it's not seasonal. So we don't have peaks and troughs. We don't have a huge off season where everyone can go away and go on their holidays and do things. Uh, we, you know, we have breaks between cities and we have, we do have you know, the periods of vacation, but it's very much, you've just got to be at uh, your performance best every single, every single week you can. Um, but you also don't, it's not realistic to go hundred percent every single time you're out there. So I think especially new artists coming in, it's really important that, not only us from a, a medical standpoint, but the whole artistic team and the operation help to educate those artists and what they need to produce and how they need to look after themselves. Because again, at the end of the day, we're here to support their career. We want to keep them on stage as long as we can. Um, we don't want them to burn themselves out because they've gone too hard too early. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's something I, I had this talk with many head coaches about periodization and how hard it is to do a proper periodization when you on tour because you can't really recover until you get to that in-between city period. Exactly. I think um, that goes in. Look, we've, we've tried to explore many things uh, in terms of trends and, and load uh, uh, physical and mental workload has been a big thing that's been popular in the sports medicine environment for a number of years now. And we actually had uh, uh, Tim Gabbard a few years ago come uh, to one of our performance medicine summits to try and give us and unlock that, uh, give us an idea and unlock that holy grail of what we could look at. Um, and the answer was, it's just, we always say we're in a unique environment, but it's interesting seeing a, a external set of eyes come in and, and see the challenges that we deal with because of, as I mentioned before, we've almost got our own little mini Olympic squad that we're, we're traveling around with and there's things we can control and things we can't control. So I think um, some of the, the teams that do it best are, are trying to keep it really simple and just look at things like fatigue as a general concept. And um, rather than trying to analyze RPE and workload and how much, how many, how much you're lifting, how many flips you're doing or whatever, it's just is, is checking in with people to see day on day, how are they feeling the next day? Are they waking up tired? Are they waking up sore? Um, to try and get a bit of a grade of, okay, we need to pull back a little bit. Maybe we need to add onto this. Maybe we need to balance it out. Because um, I do believe that our environment is one of cumulative load, and there is there is a, a need to explore that further on. Um, you know how we go about managing that when we're doing 10, 12 week legs. Um, but there, you know, we, we've developed a few tricks over the years to try and help help artists with that. I want to ask you about bioplasticity and that aspect of cumulative load over extended period of time. Like, is it some? Have you seen? artists who've been working for sick for a very long time who have kind of adapted to that load and who are not really responding the same way with the inflammation and like fatigue and stuff like that yeah that's that's a really interesting question and it'd be great if we could unlock that we have some artists that have been with us you know 20 odd years and just barely missed a show and have been super resilient and we have other artists that come in and um, you know, just can't quite get up with the load and the, and the training and, and show frequency um, and take a longer time to adapt. So again, we've got to be very careful with how we're analyzing our data and what we're looking at, but we, we do sometimes see a trend around uh, when we look at um, particularly our arena shows, which move a lot and work in legs of say 10 to 12 weeks. We found that the, the 
the risk of injury was was coming near its peak around that six to eight week mark. But then funnily enough, you'd think beyond that and everyone getting tired and everyone moving around that it would keep going up toward the end of the break if we use the cumulative load as a theory. But actually it would it would taper back off. So there was kind of this, maybe this acclimatization. We haven't obviously done a lot of extensive research or come up with any golden answers on that yet, but um, it is something that we've we've theorized around it that maybe there is an adaptation phase of people coming in and then there's a sort of a phase where they plateau a little bit and that's when they could be more susceptible, but then they seem to freshen up coming out. So we've tried to use our learnings from the past and, and when we see when we have heavy show weeks or when people are at that sort of six to eight week mark, whether it be big top or, or arena touring, and um, we're really pushing these this concept of an active recovery week on shows now, which is where we, we sort of scale everything back scale back the trainings only what's necessary and try to introduce things that are, are variable for the artists so you know uh, yoga classes meditation i think one class uh, one show we're doing a hip-hop class uh, coffee making barista courses yeah. just things that freshen up both the body and the mind for artists so it's not necessarily saying go home and do nothing yeah. but let's mix it up and let's try and freshen you both mentally and physically to push through that last little part so we're seeing less of that you know what we think might be accumulated cumulative load effect around that six to eight week mark oh, that's super interesting I, I'm, I'm excited to see what's coming out of it but i'm sure it must be very efficient just thinking about the mental health aspect to get to that moment of like just focusing on something else and also moving but moving in a different way like it must feel so it just must feel so good yeah exactly and look it's only anecdotal stuff at the moment and uh, it's something that we're really trying to drive now with with relaunching all our shows but I think it's um, it's exactly what you said is our, our artists in particular get so drilled into doing that one specific thing um, that not does it I wouldn't say it gets monotonous, but it, I think they can really uh, become a little complacent and sit back and and having that refresh and that reset, I think within a city or within a leg uh, is really important, not only for the, for the physical body, but for the mind, most importantly, I think it really helps refocus them and maybe explore passions or, or different things they've never been exposed to. So um, it's something that we we've seen good success with. It's sort of started as a concept out of the resident show division and we've been adopted in adopting it on the touring show division um, with the relaunch but uh, it's something that we want to keep continuing and offer more variety uh, as, as we progress our partner in this episode is Circus Talk the online carrier marketplace for circus and the performing arts Circus Talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community it is an amazing information resource, bringing news, events, and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts. If you're a talent seeker, you can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way, instead of using social media accounts. There are already over 28,000 artist profiles on Circus Talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk Talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code TAPIROUGE in one word. 
So go to circustalk.com, sign up to Pro, and use the code TAPIROUGE to find your spotlight with our partner, Circus Talk. All right, guys, a little side story now. Back in 2014, I hurt my back training backstage before a show. The pain was so intense, I couldn't put my socks on, sit for more than two minutes, and obviously, it took me out of the show for quite some time. I followed a strict core rehabilitation program, and after six weeks, I got back on stage. But I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training, and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back. The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweak some techniques and executions, and also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks, on top of reducing considerably my pain level, I was feeling so much stronger, which increased my confidence to move and better perform on stage. My life overall was so much better. Finally, I was pain-free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artists and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey, what did you do for your back? And I thought, I could put it all out in a clear and clean way instead of always pulling random videos on YouTube and giving quick guidance. So I reached out to all the best doctors, physiotherapists and performance medicine specialists whom I met touring and ask them to help me develop Protocol Cut to the Core. Protocol Cut to the Core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain that also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics, and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios, and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find Protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now, let's get back to the show. What is the difference in your job between being a head therapist on a touring show and now being a performance medicine manager? at the headquarter in Montreal? Yeah, so I think the answer I would have given you two years ago prior to COVID was probably different to the one I'll give you now. But uh, really, really, our focus has been um, with relaunching all our touring shows and all our resident shows has been uh, making sure everyone comes back and is prepared as, as well as they can for the really the big ramp up in load. I think we have seen that the last two years, everyone's reality has been very different. Uh, some people were able to have access to consistent training facilities and groups and training partners, whereas other people may be given where they are in the world or the access to resources they had were limited. They, they weren't really able to do much at all in, in terms of preparation. So uh, a lot of my focus has been uh, obviously on the operations here at the, the headquarters and making sure we we're back up and running and we're not only just bouncing back to, the way we used to be, but we're also have a desire to build things uh, a little better this, this time around and improve our service, which has been important. Um, but a, a part of that is, is getting the shows back up and running and, and really being heavily based in the operations. So I think really uh, my role as particular um, when I was on totem was tied to the operation. So I 
was there, you know, pitch side, if you will, show side ready to keep the artists on stage, help them recover for the next show and deal with the acute injury management. Whereas now my position uh, or what it will become eventually once the relaunch is concluded is more strategic and a little bit looking at um, not only supporting the shows clinically and helping the teams grow and, and understand their reality, but also looking at the, our, um, the shows as a whole and looking at across from a strategic standpoint to see what are the trends, how can we be better? How can we offer a better service? Um, but again, it all comes back to that, that goal of we're here to keep the artists on stage. Uh, how can we do that better? And do you like it doing more big picture stuff now and like doing more organizations thing? I do. I think, um, I think, you know, the, the physio and me will never want to get hands off at any point. I think having uh, the, the thing I like about really love about my role now is, uh, we do have the clinic here at the headquarters where, um, I can still be actively treating artists and be involved in their plan of care, which is really exciting for me as, as a physio. And I don't think I'd ever want to give that up. Um, but that being said, I think at a point in my career, I do enjoy, um, trying to be a bit more strategic mentoring staff mm -hmm. and also, you know, trying to, to push the department in a direction where, where they're offering a better service and where the best version of, of, of performance medicine out there. Yeah, I think Cirque is very lucky to have you in this position just because you are an athlete yourself. So you have experience as an athlete, then you were running a clinic prior and then you were on a touring show as well. So I feel you have such a broad and relevant range of experience. I'll just, uh, I'll pull you up and saying I was a, I was a big athlete there, Guillaume. I mean, I, I have a sporting background, uh, but obviously, you know, I'm very much into my Australian football and that's something I've tried to tried to keep up no matter where, whether it was in Japan, whether it's here in Montreal, I really uh, try and uh, grow the game as much as I can. My, uh, my playing days are a long, long over. Oh, I still dabble a little bit, but I'm now in trouble the coaching and development and spreading the game. Uh, but I think, as you said, coming with that, um, I think the biggest thing of coming from being interested in sport and playing a lot of sports when I was young is it really helps you relate and be empathetic when people get long-term injuries. I think that was the thing that drove me into physiotherapy when I was in high school. I really, you know, craft out, uh, knew that was going to be the direction I wanted to take because I suffered some, some long-term injuries that I had to get over. And I think, you know, working with a good physio at the time really shaped, uh, the way that I viewed uh, pain and viewed injury and rehabilitation as a whole. So it's something that I almost feel indebted to, to give back uh, to my teams, but also to, to the artists I work with directly is if you can educate them and empower them to, to understand why it's good for them and that they're going to be uh, doing all the right things. If they, if they educate themselves, I think that's uh, that's a really interesting and, and uh, crucial part of the role that, that'll never go away for me. I would like to ask you a little bit about, pain because you mentioned that when you were injured you had PMED that helped you understanding pain and like that helps you going through it and that's something that you did with me as well you taught me so much about pain perception and pain science would you want to just talk a little bit about pain and what actually is the pain phenomenon Yeah, I mean, I think we joked off, off air and saying that this could be a podcast in itself. And there, I'm certainly not a, an expert in the realm, but it is something that um, I think later in my career, I've really wanted to explore more. And uh, I think it comes through that education piece of dealing with, with a lot of artists in particular that, um, again, the, the culture and context is very different for people. And I think their understanding of what pain is and what drives pain 
uh, was something that forced me almost to, uh, to better educate myself. So, um, I mean, again, we could talk about it for days, but I think if, if there's going to be a takeaway that people want to want to take on, on what I think is the phenomenon of pain, as you put it, is it's really a universal experience. And we all agree, or, uh, as the medical community now that it's a hundred percent produced by the brain, which can sometimes be a lot very hard for people to understand because they'll, they'll think, well, are you just telling me it's on my head, which is not the case. Uh, it's just that pain that's produced in your brain includes all pain, no matter how it feels or no matter how long you've had it. So the key behind pain is it's very contextual. It very much matters with what was happening at the time you were injured and what you were feeling, what you're going through. That does have a big uh, role to play in the plan that we should put for when you are experiencing high levels of pain. So I'll talk about it in sort of two brackets, if you will. Um, and then, you know, uh, sort of go at where, how we've evolved in, in the management of our long-term pain cases here. So, I mean, if you're experiencing pain for a few weeks or months, you know, it's typically what we call the acute pain. So I think everyone's sort of aware of that, you know, it's commonly associated with tissue damage. So that's, for example, you sprain your ankle, you know, everyone's had a sprained ankle or, you know, I hurt their back uh, from lifting too much or gardening too much. Um, but typically with these episodes, you know, if you stay active uh, and you get back to the tasks and the sports that you love, it's something that resolves in a few weeks or, or months around that normal tissue, tissue healing range, uh, where we see, uh, where it gets a little bit more complex is when it goes on for roughly three months or more. Um, a term that used to be used a lot is called chronic pain, but we, we tend to move towards this, this theory of persistent pain, pain that is persisting rather than chronic and you're stuck in a vicious cycle. The word chronic means like it's a closed loop, like chronic, it means it's coming again forever, always. And that exactly thing with that idea of like, I'm, I'm stuck into that thing. I'm never going to get away is also contributing to more pain, like staying in that state. Definitely. Definitely. And there's been a lot of good studies around the language that's used around pain and people in uh, with persistent pain. And that is very powerful of what you've just said is it's subtle shifts like that, that is makes all the difference to us as clinicians when we're trying to educate people uh, and helping them develop a plan to 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 move to to learn to 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 live with 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 their persistent pain rather than try and think it has to be cured or like you said you're stuck stuck in this vicious cycle. But persistent pain is really when the tissue damage doesn't tend to be the main issue. Um, but one thing that is pretty universally agreed at the moment is there's still no gold standard of what we do about it and how we deal with it. It really has to be a multifaceted approach. And what we do know is that in these, in these, these uh, phases that the brain keeps producing pain. So you're still feeling pain, even though the body is out of danger. So the tissue healing is resolved or the body is no longer processing it as a threat. So once we have ruled out that there is no danger and you know, any red flags and, and nothing like that's present um, and the tissue healing ha should have run its course, our, our management comes more uh, less about st structural changes in the body and more about looking at what we call neural sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So the way I like to describe this neural sensitivity is imagine you have uh, an amplifier and you're listening to music and the more sensitive and the more wound up your neural system is it's like turning that amplifier up so you're more feeling that pain whereas what we try and do is retrain the brain and look at it from a broad perspective with a structured approach to try and turn that dial down to allow the body to to process that pain a little bit easier and uh try and, and there's different approaches we can use to do that but ultimately it comes from 
education and breaking down the, that fear around the, uh, the pain state that they're in. So it's basically the brain which becomes more and more prone to produce pain, even though there is no injury anymore. The body has, has healed, there is no more damage, but the brain for reason that can be multiple depending on context and each individual is still producing a pain signal. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's a good way to, uh, to describe it is it can be anything from, you know, thoughts and emotions and mood and stress levels, because we all know these are brain impulses um, that wind up our nervous system. So dealing with those things and looking at it from a broader perspective can help us turn down that neural sensitivity mm -hmm. uh, and try and have a positive influence on what the, what the, the artist is feeling. So again, I would just want to stress it's, it's definitely not the approach of, Oh, it's all in your brain. You just need to go and fix your brain. It's, it's the, the pain is there. The pain is real. Yeah. It's just, we know now that it's all modulated through the brain. So it's important for us not to think, in ways of, okay, you have this tissue damage. This is how we need to rehabilitate you. We need to do X, Y, and Z, mm. manual therapy exercises. Um, it's very much a holistic approach uh, to help us try and turn the system down. I like the, um, the saying that there is a relationship between injury and pain, but it's a complicated relationship. It's not, it's very complicated. Like, it's not necessarily pain equal injury. It does, but not all the time and the terms of that relationship change according to each individual exactly um it's and then really it's understanding the personal story of of the artist as well so what was happening around if it is persistent pain what was happening around when that pain started can we recognize what deeper emotions are, are tied to that and can we try and address that fear is a big thing for people that have pain and moving moving and getting being active uh goes against what your brain is telling you to do when you think you when you're in danger right when we're in danger we want to protect ourselves so getting someone moving without fear and understanding and using language as you you so rightly put it before to really talk about if we're talking about let's say the lumbar spine for example talking about it as it being a robust structure that is that is good with movement that is empowering rather than it's fragile it's degenerative it has wear and tear all those things while they sound casual are actually perpetuating the problem they're actually feeding into what people's uh, beliefs are about their conditions so because if i understand correctly pain is a protective signal it's a signal that says there is a danger you need to protect yourself so when you're in a state of fear then it perpetuates that cycle of like oh there is fear there is a danger so it's create a climate that is more prone to produce more pain signal exactly that's exactly right and i think it's important that that's understood and explained to the artist so i think the best thing obviously it's it's a lot and it's it's sometimes hard to wrap your head around but there's some very good resources out there and i know one i've shared with you in the past is um, David Butler's book, Explain Pain, I think is a great resource for, for people, not only clinicians and something I've used as a clinician, but also for artists and people dealing with long-term injuries. Um, it's a really good resource for them to look at, to read, to understand. It really breaks it down uh, and sort of uh, simplifies a lot of the concepts. It doesn't talk in broad, you know, neural anatomy and neural uh, recognition patterns. It really looks... At the, this is what it is. This is what we know. Uh, it's complex, as you said. Um, but overall, we know, you know, 
pain does come from the brain, but it can also be retrained. I think that's the important thing yeah, here is exactly while I was reading, I was really understanding so many things about myself and thinking like, Oh, it's true. Like I can, there's so many things I can do for my low back pain, like all the, the brain representations and like associating certain movements with pain. And like for years, I would not do certain movements thinking like, Oh, these movements make, are going to create pain. I'm going to make, I'm going to hurt my back. But then I realized like, no, my, I should just, you know, try to do maybe that same movement, but in a different angle first and like going with lighter load and like going slowly to try to retrain my perception that no, actually, you know, doing deadlifts is not with proper form and everything. It's not going to hurt my back. And that was so empowering. Just having all these tools, all the stuff to just think about and to realize like it's true thinking, where was I in my life when I got injured? And yeah, I would really suggest all the listeners to read that that book. Explain pain has really been a game changer. Yeah, for sure. I think you touched on a good point. I'll put my hand up and say a guilty as charged that in my earlier days as a physio, teaching a lot of manual handling and movement to uh, when I was working in in some of the nursing homes is we used to think that you know the best way to lift was don't bend your back and only bend your knees and if you try to bend your back you could have a disc injury and we used to talk in these fearful terms not knowing as clinicians that the damage we were doing and the context we were creating for these people um but certainly you know we've moved a long way from that um certainly in my career now it's exactly that of, of empowering people and then helping them understand that bending is not bad and movement is good. And this is a robust structure that is very strong and very able to tolerate loads. And we should be talking in terms of empowerment and not in terms of fear. Yeah. Um, if you would have an advice for a new PMED joining on tour, what would be the three things important to know for them before joining the tour? It's a good one um, because, you know, we're, we're obviously in the relaunch, we're welcoming all new people into our organization and something that we've had to reflect on a lot is uh, where we recruit from and, and what advice we would give people who are looking to come into our environment. Um, and I think it's, it's a very interesting environment to step into, but there are things that I think people can prepare themselves better. To, to come on uh, there's there's certain things that once that you really can't replicate like when could you ever replicate uh having to get into a trapeze net to help an artist down or to you know do bits and pieces of what we do but um one thing i think that's really important for us uh is to have be comfortable with the emergency response side of our job so a big part of the performance medicine is not only acute injury management which is kind of what everyone would associate you know i roll my ankle i come to physio i get it strapped up i'm you know i'm, I'm, I'm on my way uh, we do that and that's a big part of our role but also uh the as you touched on before injury risk reduction and prevention is a big part of our role um, but the part that we uh, we sort of don't really get exposed to until someone steps into the into our organisation is emergency response. So okay. all, all of our performance medicine star, staff are first aid trained, and they're the first responders for the for the show, um, and they all do a great job at really training that with their technicians and making sure they're preparing for all the different scenarios. Um, so my big, my number one advice to everyone before they're looking at joining uh, our PMED team is make sure you feel confident and you've got good exposure to doing, doing your first aid, um, because the, the environment that we work in, um, while, you know, is very, very well controlled, 
it's still like nothing. You 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 can't compare it to a football sure, pitch or yeah. a, a rugby pitch when you've got nets and trapeze and wheels of death and water and all different elements. So um, we're very, very good at our training. We're very diligent to what we do here, um, but it is something that you've got to be confident with when you step into our environment because uh, it's a big part of the role. Okay. And before I let you go, I have one last question for you. If tomorrow aliens would land on Earth, how would you explain Cirque du Soleil to them? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, if aliens to land, how would I explain? I would say I'll go a bit philosophical here and say if aliens were to walk in and see Cirque du Soleil, they would see that this is the epitome of creativity and cultural diversity coming together under one roof or big top. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I love that. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, Brett, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for sharing all this information. And I will put in the show notes like all the references for all the books you're talking about. Great. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. And I wish you a big merit for the following. And I'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye. See ya. Pretty cool stuff, huh? I really encourage you to read that book called Explain Pain by Dr. David Butler and G. Lorimer Mosley. I guarantee you that it will change radically the way you'll perceive and deal with pain. It is now time for you to give us a good rating and review on your podcast app. It doesn't take long and it helps the show tremendously. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com, or wherever you're getting your podcasts. And now, my friends, we are done for today. Let's catch up next week. Until then, take care, enjoy the summer, toy, 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 and big merd if you're having shows. And as we say in the circus, see you down the road. <laughs>